0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Quest for Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover, and I'm fiercely passionate about helping people pull their ideal future into the present, whatever that means for them. In today's episode, I'll be sharing the top 10 relationship killers and how and why each is so damaging to relationships and how you can avoid them to improve every relationship in your life. I'll also be including three honorable mention relationship killers to commemorate this, the 13th episode of the Quest for Life podcast. After all, many people and cultures are suspicious or even fearful of the number 13. So more on that uh, later on. Let's get started. Putting together a top 10 like this isn't easy, primarily because we all have uniquely different experiences in relationships, some better, some worse. So the format of this top 10 ranking is from the worst type of relationship killer that by percentage is less frequent than others. So as we get closer to number one, the frequency of these relationship killing things increases, but they may not be as emotionally severe. I I hope that makes sense. So the first one we'll cover, number 10, infidelity also known as unfaithfulness, also known as cheating. According to the Institute of Family Studies, 20% of married men cheat on their spouse at least once, compared to 13% of married women. So roughly one in five men and a little bit more than one in 10 women. And to be clear, this cheating is of a sexual kind, and 40% of adults that cheated on their spouse ultimately get divorced. But what about emotional infidelity? Well, research shows that 75% of adults believe that emotional uh, infidelity, which is having uh, an emotional relationship with someone other than their spouse, is is unfaithful behavior. So why is this all so damaging? In short, betrayal, right? You're in a relationship, in a marriage, and you've stood in front of God, in front of pastor, in front of the justice of the peace, in front of witnesses professing love and loyalty, and then you betray that love and loyalty. And the reality is people don't get into relationships or they don't get married in order to get divorced. So the affair, the cheating ultimately is a symptom of a deeper rooted issue that ultimately hasn't been addressed. Number nine, domestic violence. So this is of the physical, verbal, and and or emotional kind. According to the American Association for Marriage and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, respectively, 20% of all marriages have some type of domestic violence, which accounts for about 15% of all violent crime. So that's all violent crime. It's also known as intimate partner violence. So beyond the obvious, why is domestic violence so damaging to relationships? The answer is control. One person attempts to control another person's behavior through abusive means. They create codependency. They create fear. In many cases, alcohol plays a a massive role uh, in the domestic violence. And it's incredibly weird whenever you see a victim of domestic violence continue to go back to the abusive situation. And in cases like this, we outside looking in, friends, family, loved ones, whenever we do observe this, it's incredibly uh, important that we get involved and help the victim of domestic violence. Number eight, lying. A study in the Journal of Human Communication Research reported that 60% of respondents uh, report telling no lies per day. Liars. (laughs) 25% reported uh, telling one or two lies per day. So what constitutes a lie? Well, you really have two sins here. You have the sin of commission and you have the sin of omission. The sin of commission is really easy to point out. Someone isn't telling the truth and they're overtly uh, not telling the truth. They're telling falsities, they're, they're telling lies. And those are really easy to point to and uh, being able to call people out on them. The sin of omission is much more subtle, which is to say that people are communicating something and they're leaving key details out. And so when you ask are you telling the truth what they've told you is in part true so then they can answer that question yes but the reality is they're not providing all of the necessary information in order for the listener to get the full story so why is this one so damaging to relationships it, it, it isn't the truth the truth is, the, 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 the truth is always enough. The truth is stubborn. and the, the truth ultimately um, ultimately reveals itself over time. I mean, even small lies are problematic. Plus they they're easier to remember. I mean, sorry, the truth is easier to remember that you don't have to cover up the truth. You have to you have to work really hard to ultimately cover up lies that that are told Um, the truth is something that you just you, you ground in it's something that you just don't have to argue against so the easiest way to deal with lying in relationships is just to not go there tell the truth and let the truth be enough number seven possessiveness possessiveness in relationship is born out of a desire for ownership over another person this leads to the possessive partner not uh, not wanting their uh, their partner to pursue interest outside of the relationship and you hear this come up in relationships like uh, especially new ones like be mine or your mine," where there is uh, that it's not a partnership but rather it is in fact uh, the attempt to gain possession over someone else. And so why is this damaging? Similar to domestic violence, it's about control. It can be incredibly abusive, um, at least you know, mentally or emotionally. Practically speaking, it's also incredibly boring. Uh, I mean, you can't move the relationship forward when you have one or the other partner trying to possess Uh, the other person. I mean, think about it this way, when you're in a relationship and you go to work, you have your own unique experiences and your partner goes to work and they have their own unique experiences. And then you come home at the end of the day and you share the experiences that each of you had uh, independent of the other person. And then you also create your own shared experiences. So it's, I have my unique experiences. You have your unique experiences and we have our own unique experiences collectively. So it's like I, I, we, or us. And that makes the relationship incredibly interesting because we're able to bring in our individual experiences from uh, outside of the relationship into the relationship. Number six, unresolved conflict. So unresolved conflict is incredibly dysfunctional. Now, clearly, we can have too much conflict, and that's obviously dysfunctional. But you can also have too little conflict, which is dysfunctional as well. And so, in relationships, there there's kind of a sweet spot when it comes to conflict. Um, you 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 don't want to necessarily uh, cr- you know create it for the sake of creating it, but when it comes up, it's something that you absolutely Want to deal with and unresolved conflict uh, leads to a variety of, uh, of of issues, mental health issues specifically. So it leads to increased anxiety and stress and depression, and in some people, insomnia, which ultimately affects uh, our physical health. So it, this creates a negative feedback loop, and you know. It leads to a variety of relational issues. So in, with intimate relationships, it can lead to decline in physical responsiveness. Uh, emotionally, it leads to disconnection. And when we think about the pain associated with conflict in relationship, that's largely disconnection from the person that we've chosen to have this intimate relationship with. And that's where the pain comes in. Uh, And then, you know, invariably unresolved conflict leads to the every 90 to 120 day blowout argument. And what's funny is uh, how people don't fight fair in those moments. It's called gunny sacking where uh, along the way, imagine a backpack. And along the way, certain things get said or certain, certain things get done or don't get done. And we load up this backpack. And then in that 90 to 120 day blowout, we bring all of that uh, all of that stuff out. It's like we unzip the backpack and just dump it uh, out on the table. And that's, uh, that, that's just unfair because the other person very likely had no idea that this was something uh, that was an issue in in many ways it's uh, it's quite passive aggressive and the w- the way to overcome this is to take ownership of your uh, of your yourself uh, to be kind and compassionate to listen actively and be willing to compromise so we've gone through the First five, so let's do a quick recap. Number 10, infidelity. Number nine, domestic violence. Number eight, lying. Number seven, possessiveness. And number six, unresolved conflict. Let's talk about those that fall in the honorable mention category. And no doubt each of these could have been into the top 10. The first is jealousy, right? Jealousy is a signal that a valued relationship is in danger and it's often seen as uh, a necessary emotion to help us try to persevere in important relationships is it damaging oh yeah oh yeah well in in most cases men um become jealous of their female counterpart uh thinking that they're having a physical affair for women uh they get jealous of their of their male counterpart uh largely uh, when they think they ha- are having an emotional affair. So it's a different way of how men and women connect in intimate relationships. And it becomes a topic or conversation that just tends not to go away uh, very quickly. And so some clearly something we need to move beyond. The second honorable mention, I touched on it just a minute ago, is passive aggressiveness. So when we give our partners the silent treatment or we play victim or we withhold sex, uh, it's just incredibly uh, unfair because these are unspoken things, and th- that we take it out on the people that we claim uh, to love the most. And then the final honorable mention is gaslighting, right? So manipulating someone to the point where they question their own sanity. Now this has gained m- much more popularity in uh, in recent years, and it's all o- it's often you know misconstrued. I mean, gaslighting is is a is a process. It takes uh, it takes time uh, for that person to manipulate the other person in such a way where they question their own sanity. And if you feel like you're the victim of gaslighting, a way to overcome that is to first educate yourself on whatever it is that's being discussed. Um, Try not to react to your partner's reactions around that. And then don't second guess yourself. Right, And that that ties back to educating yourself. Don't second guess yourself. Stand firm uh, if you believe that your thoughts, ideas, and perspectives on a topic are absolutely true. All right, continuing with the top 10. Number five, making decisions for your partner. This is subtle and can be incredibly frustrating. And it kind of goes like this. Uh, you ask your partner if they want to go see a movie and they have had a really long week and uh, they're tired and they uh, they thankfully decline. And then a few days later, you ask if you, your partner if they want to go to dinner and there's something that comes up and they thankfully decline. And then that goes on for uh, a bit of time. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, par- the initial partner stops asking uh, and the other partner starts inquiring. And the the asking partner says, well, you know what I you always say no. There's always something that comes up um, And so I just assumed that the answer would be no this time. And that's where it becomes incredibly frustrating because uh, it, the, the asking partner is actually making the decision for the other person. So why is it so damaging? It, because it fails to be considerate of the other person and how they feel. When we fail to consider the people we choose to enter relationships, we fail the relationship. And what's funny is that we're in 100% control of, uh, of our consideration of other people, and especially those that we're in relationships with. We just have to want to consider the other person. Number four, what I like to call conversational drift. I discussed this in episode five of the Quest for Life podcast. What are we talking about? You know, and it's this idea that the conversation is the relationship. And we need to ask ourselves, I mean, in these moments where we, the relationship isn't necessarily going the way we wanted it to, what are we talking about and truly assess how what we're talking about affects uh, how we're growing both individually and how we're able to move the relationship forward so for example uh, empty nesters empty nesters you have spent the last 18 20 22 years largely talking about their children and and rightfully so but they their conversation has drifted so far uh, toward that or finances or career or something else where they they aren't working on the relationship, they aren't working on the conversations in the relationship. And we all have shifting priorities. We all have seasons that we go through where we give our attention and focus to other things and maybe we deprioritize the relationship. But in order to get that back, in order to drift back into a functional conversation, we need to be intentional uh, in the moment, uh, we need to stay connected uh, on our hopes and dreams and values. We need to um, make the person uh, in front of us in the conversation, the most important person in the world in that moment. And that is incredibly difficult to do with all of the distractions that uh, we all face. Number three, unspoken expectations. Right? I can't hear what you don't say out loud. This is particularly insidious because they it's over the top unfair to the person that has no idea that their partner has set those expectations for them. If, so for example, um, sex, there's an expectation that one partner or the other uh, gives, um, gives sex to their, their partner, and that is unspoken. And then when that doesn't happen, the, the, the other person feels like they're a victim, and they end up holding, their partner accountable to that even though it wasn't said out loud maybe it's a date night or taking out the garbage or certain family obligations that it's expected of them of their partner to participate in this and when they don't or when they don't engage in the behavior that's expected of them the other person holds them accountable even though none of it was ever said out loud and why is that so damaging well how would you feel in the moment? And I'm sure you've all gone through this at least once in your life. How would you feel if you're being held accountable to something you had no idea that you had no idea that that was expected of you? You just had no idea. So the way to get around this is quite simple. If you expect something of your partner, say it out loud. Now that creates Uh, an opportunity to have a conversation as to whether or not the other person uh, will uh, agree with those expectations, but at least you know where you stand. Number two, keeping score. In relationships, in our most important intimate relationships, we have to reconcile the fact that it's not a competition right? Keeping score in relationships leads to nothing but resentment. One person may win, the other loses. It becomes this zero sum game. It's incredibly selfish. As a result, we stop giving to the other person. It's largely done in retaliation for perceived failures. So for example, person A says, I bought you an expensive shirt and you never wear it. Person B says, oh, I gave you an expensive necklace and you never wear it. Person A, I didn't ask for, for a necklace person B. I didn't ask for a shirt person. A well, you should have told me after all, all I, all I do is make sacrifices for you. And it's like, Oh brother, the S word, right? Sacrifice. And now we're off to the races. It's like one person is the martyr in, uh, in, in the relationship. And why is it so damaging resentment? And that's a cancer for any relationship. How do you get past it? Practice gratitude. Stop focusing on lack. Stop emphasizing the negative. Focus on the positive. Appreciate uh, what your partner brings to the relationship. After all, you made a conscious decision to get into the relationship with them in the first place. I mean, we, we, we quickly forget whenever we feel victimized or we feel that, you know, that I'm giving more than they are and and invariably it it just infects the relationship. And then number one, values mismatch. This relates to incompatibilities. So for example, you might have uh, you might have different views on on finances or money. You might have different senses of humor. You might have uh, different perceptions of what it means to work hard. You might have different religious beliefs. Um, you might define what it means to relax differently. You might have differences of, uh, of perspective or values with the role of sex and physical intimacy in relationships, um, values mismatch related to self-care habits. So, um, nutrition or physical activity or physical appearance, uh, you might have a values mismatch related to outlook on life. Maybe one of you is more optimistic and one of you is more pessimistic. Uh, you, you might have different types of intelligence, so you, you may value uh, more rational, objective thought related to IQ, or more uh, intuitive, uh, f- you know, feeling-oriented uh, intelligence known as emotional intelligence. And so, why is a values mismatch so damaging? Well, this is where the irreconcilable differences comes from in in relationships or marriages, and it, it, quite frankly, these are things that, uh, these are conversations that should happen before you enter into a long term intimate relationship with someone. You know, for example, parenting styles is another big one. If you're not having those conversations, uh, with a prospective spouse about how they, uh, plan on, uh, disciplining their kids, you know, how they go about, uh, raising their children, that that's absolutely going to be a wedge in the relationship throughout. And it's going to lead to tons and tons of conflict. I'm not at all suggesting that you don't move forward with the relationship. It's just something to, uh, to consider. So what we need to do is we need to find common ground. We need to celebrate differences so we can move on. But uh, values mismatch uh, causes all sorts of degrees of pain. So that is the top 10 Relationship killer list with three honorable mentions. Let's do a quick review uh, before we wrap this up. Honorable mentions jealousy, passive aggressiveness, gaslighting. And then we get into the top 10. Number 10, infidelity. Number nine, domestic violence. Number eight, lying. Number seven, possessiveness. Number six, unresolved conflict. Number five, making decisions for your partner. Four, conversational drift. Three, unspoken expectations, two, keeping score, and number one, values mismatch. A fun way to wrap this up is speaking about the number 13. Now this is unrelated to this top 10 list, um, but the fear of the number 13 is interesting. It's called Triskydecaphobia. Right? And it's an intense fear of the number thirteen, and it's commonly associated uh, uh, with bad luck in Western cultures. And you you see this um, semi frequently in uh, hotels or office buildings where you get into an ele- elevator and you look at the buttons for the floors and it goes 10, 11, 12, 14. And in the moment you're like, oh, stop it. I mean, the the 14th floor is clearly the 13th floor, but that's actually not the case. What these engineers do or what these architects do is they actually build a 13th floor. It's just about half as tall as each of the other floors. And most floors are roughly about 10 feet tall. So there is technically a 13th floor. It's just about a five foot um, floor in between 12 and 14. And what they—the reason they do that in office buildings and hotels—is whenever there's actually a 13th floor, there's a disproportionate number of suicides uh, off the 13th floor. So it's the fear of the number 13 uh, is uh, is certainly interesting. It's somewhat irrational uh, whenever you think about it, but uh, it's a, it, you know it's absolutely a thing. I like to think of the number 13 as the baker's dozen. You know, when it comes to uh, bagels or donuts or you know, some other treats, um, it, it's really, to me, a plus one. Uh, and it's quite positive. So, it, all of this, as always, is food for thought, fellow questers. Be sure to contact the show at thequestforlife.com. That is the quest, the number four life.com. I'd love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five star rating. Consider writing a review. Tell your friends. We'd love to keep getting the word out. Email me at ed at the quest for to be entered into a drawing to receive a $100 gift card. Bet you didn't see that coming. That's ed at the quest for life, the number four, dot com. And as always, thank you for joining the conversation.